Good morning, my name is Jill and I'm going to be reading the Bible. Please join with me. Our reading today is from uh, the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to be reading chapter 1, verses 1 through to 11. Uh, it's found on page 600, uh, five, I'm sorry, 586. Um, Ecclesiastes is in about in the middle of the Old Testament, Psalms, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 beginning at verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labours at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. Panting, it returns to the place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning, goes the wind. And the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new? It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before and of those who will come after, there will also be no remembrance by those who follow them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. My name's uh, Tim. I'm one of the ministers here uh, at OEC. And uh, if I haven't met you before, I'd, I'd love to have a coffee with you after the service. Uh, I'm going to pray for us before we begin. So let's bow our heads briefly. Uh, Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. And may your word be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your greater glory our supreme concern. And we ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, well, longing for a sense of <coughs> completion or fulfillment is a, a universal desire. It's something that we feel at every stage of our lives. Uh, that was made clear in my kids this morning. Uh, it starts when they come into uh, the bedroom and they say, all I want is a hug to celebrate Father's Day. And you think, this is fulfillment. This feels great. And then 10 seconds later, they say, all I want is a chocolate biscuit for breakfast. And if I have that, then I will feel fulfilled. Uh, and you can see as they're working themselves out emotionally for kids, they feel all the feels. Uh, everything is a, a fulfillment moment for them, big and small. I feel this with the passion of a thousand sons. Uh, we feel the need for fulfillment later in our lives. Uh, I turned uh, 47 last year and research says that is now the age for a man where he's most likely to have his midlife crisis. This is the moment where I asked, am I fulfilled? Have I achieved enough with my life? Am I doing enough? What is my legacy going to be? Am I leaving enough for the people after me? And of course, we respond to that big question by trying to find more things. 
Again, research says uh, the three biggest ways a guy responds to a midlife crisis is they buy a new car, uh, they get a gym membership, uh, or they get hair implants. So I shaved my head last night in case you would notice how much I would desperately love to have the top bits better covered. Uh, The desire fulfillment starts at the beginning of our lives, and one way or another we feel, feel it through all of our lives. We even see it at the end of our lives. It's why eulogies have become more and more popular and a bigger part of funerals. As we deal with the grief of losing somebody, we need to give ourselves a sense that they were complete, that they were fulfilled, that they did everything that they could in their life. And to be clear, uh, fulfillment isn't a bad thing. It's right to crave a deep sense of completion, to feel like I'm in the right place, doing the right things, that I'm making the most of every opportunity. But while the desire is reasonable and good, we also know that fulfillment is fundamentally a frustrating thing. Because as we look at it, we're reminded of just how fleeting the things in this world are. That the tractor used to go beep, beep, and now it's just a submarine. And this realisation isn't a new idea. In fact, as we just heard, uh, well over 2,000 years ago, Solomon really explored this in Ecclesiastes. Let's look again at what he says. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all of his efforts, his labours under the sun? Generation comes, generation goes, but the earth remains forever. Sun rises and the sun sets, panting it hurries back to its place where it rises. The teacher understands the tension between all of the effort that we can pour out into the things of this world and the reality that we can't take any of it with us, that it doesn't really change. We just come and we go. Uh, The conclusion, verses 8 and 9, all things are wearisome more than anyone can say. The eye is never satisfied by seeing, the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. The author Christopher Watkins says that part of what drives this desire is that we're looking for redemptive fulfillment. That is a kind of fulfillment that is deep and meaningful and a fulfillment that will actually last beyond that uh, immediately, that, uh, that feeling we have in just a moment. Because we know that so many things don't actually last in long and meaningful ways. Uh, In the early 2000s, I remember uh, driving to my little brother's house. Uh, He lived about an hour away and I was enjoying my drive because I had recently bought a mini disc player. Uh, It was only half the size of a CD, but it held four whole CDs worth of music. Can you imagine that? Uh, That meant I could make the whole drive without having to swap anything out. And then I arrived at my brother's house and he showed me his iPod. (laughs) This little machine held his whole music collection in one small white rectangle. And in an instant, I moved from fulfillment and contentment to disillusionment and resentment. (coughs) Excuse me. And we see how uh, this is a fleeting thing because 20 years later, uh, we have seen how the goalposts have shifted if that is your, the thing that makes you feel fulfilled. 
We went from iPods to iPhones. Now I want to be able to speak to somebody as well as listen to music. iPhones to Spotify. So imagine I was happy with four CDs worth of music. Now on Spotify, they, they have worked out it would take well over 300 years uh, without a pause to listen to every song that is currently on Spotify. And yet in the search for fulfillment, uh, it's not enough. Funnily enough, you know, Ecclesiastes talks about how everything sort of just revolves. I saw a picture from my brother this morning of him listening to his record player. <laughs> As all things come back again, there's nothing new under the sun. Sometimes the goalposts shift, and sometimes it's just the reality, as Jeff captured so beautifully, of the fact that old thing, uh, new things become old things. The bike or phone or gaming system or sewing machine is super exciting when we're looking forward to it, like that birthday when you're looking forward to the present. But inevitably, a week after your birthday, that thing that you longed for, that it would complete you when you got it, is sitting on a shelf or even worse, it's put into the back of the garage. We focus, we work, maybe we achieve great things. But even when we do achieve, the sun rises the next day, the world keeps turning, and one day everything that we have worked for, those things that are so important to us now, will be forgotten. If all we have in this world is what is right in front of us, then the greatest fulfillment we can hope for is just some fleeting momentary joy, the thing I have in my hand right now. The Apostle Paul wrestles with this in 1 Corinthians 15. Having spoken about the great suffering that he's gone through for the gospel, he concludes, but if the dead are not raised, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If we can't find meaningful fulfillment in in what we have, there's no ultimate fulfillment in this, then the best we can do is to hold on to things for a a moment and then let them go. Uh, YOLO, we only live once. Uh, But this is not actually the answer that Paul has. Uh, He wants to remind his readers in 1 Corinthians that the uh, answer is that fulfillment doesn't come from uh, the thing that I can find inside me if I can uh, fill a hole with more things uh, and more stuff. But actually, when I look for real achievement, it is having an external frame of reference. Real fulfillment is not me saying I can be the best me that I can be. But when I realize that I can seek the purposes that God has for me. A real fulfillment is seeking to be the me that God has made me to be. Uh, When I was a a young kid, I was lucky that uh, we had family friends that uh, had a game fishing boat. They say the best boat to own is your friend's boat. Uh, and this meant that sometimes we'd go out and maybe we'd go to a nice placid bay and we enjoy a bit of time under the sun. Uh, but it also meant that sometimes we'd go out beyond the heads and we'd be searching up and down the coast for new places to go. And here's where, it sounds idyllic, but here's where you learn why I love orange so much. Uh, and that is because it is four hours away from the ocean. Uh, because I, I have what you would call a non-seaworthy stomach. So things would always start out well. We'd be at the front of the boat, me and the other kids, enjoying the the salt spray as we bounce up and down over some of the waves. And then 20 minutes later, I'd be at the back of the boat, curled up just saying, rice bubbles, stay where you're supposed to be, don't come up. And then 20 minutes after that, I would ignore what my mother was saying to me and I'd say, I'm going downstairs in the boat. I just want to huddle in a corner. If I ignore all of this, maybe then I can feel better. 
and I'd realized the foolishness because I have hidden myself away from everything, uh, but the waves are still going up and down. And eventually I would listen as my mum would come down and she would say, you need to come up, you need to look at the horizon and focus on that point. Or even better, if we can still see the land, uh, look at the land, it is unchanging. Find a fixed point that constant and that will stop you feeling so sick as you get pushed up and down by the waves. Remember again what Ecclesiastes says. What does a person gain for all of his efforts that he labours at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and sets, panting, it hurries back to the place where it rises. If we can't find fulfilment under the sun then the fixed point that we should turn our eyes to is the God who made the Son. It's the God who sent his Son. The God under whose providential care the world continues to turn. The sun continues to rise and set and we continue to exist. As we struggle to find a fulfillment that lasts, the answer is not to get caught up in my own little schemes, to huddle downstairs in the boat and say, if I just ignore everything else, I can find it within myself. We need to look at that fixed point, uh, that bigger picture. And this is what David captures beautifully in Psalm 8. When I observe your heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him or a son of man that you look after him? And yet you made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. The God who made everything is the fixed point that we direct our eyes to. And when we understand God as the beginning and the end of all things and the one who made us, then it's easier to find our place in his creation. To find our real fulfillment is to find our place in God's universal plan and that the author of life is the one who also calls us into his purposes and calls us to recognize him and to live our lives honoring him. But this might be the moment where you say, what does this actually mean? It's, it's okay as a concept to say that real fulfillment comes from God. But you don't want this to be one of those sermons where you get the concept, but there's no real practical application of the principle. So I want to think briefly about three things that this means for us. Uh, firstly, that Jesus is the one who not only offers us fulfillment, but he also achieves real fulfillment for us. Secondly, that through Jesus, we are offered ultimate fulfillment that comes in our eternal future. But finally, the work of Jesus and the reality of our future also offers a redemptive fulfillment in our works now. One of the many gifts that the internet has given us over the years, and there have been a lot of them, uh, is misheard lyrics in songs. I think we all probably have this thing in our family. Uh, you know, the kids sing some song in the background and they've got the tune and they've got some of the words, but they go off in weird tangents. Uh, I, look, I was looking on the internet. The most famous one is Elton John's one, apparently, where he's singing, Hold Me Closer, Tiny Dancer. Uh, but instead, many people thought it was, Hold Me Closer, Tony Danza. <laughs> Does Jimi Hendrix... Uh, have a transcendent moment. Is he singing, excuse me while I kiss the sky? Or is he saying, excuse me while I kiss this guy? <laughs> now, we enjoy this because it's a lighthearted thing. It doesn't actually mean that much in a lot of ways. 
But it's one thing to misunderstand uh, unimportant lyrics, but it's a very different thing to misunderstand something that is very important, deeply important. And this is one of the great tensions and one of the great problems that the church has been struggling with, I think, for 2,000 years. Somehow that the, the lyric that the church gets caught singing is, if only I do enough, I can fulfill my destiny and I can earn a right relationship with God. Or that it has to be about the works that I do. It was wonderful to hear Alicia's story and to hear that was her earlier understanding of what the church is. It's, is it a mechanical thing or is a God a distant God? If I pray enough times, if I do enough things, can I get that Santa Claus list answered? Even as we enter into Serve 2024, the temptation can be for us to say, uh, not, uh, I want to serve joyfully because God has given me so much and, and it's an opportunity to invest in community, but to think, uh, how much is enough to make it look like I'm doing enough, that I am enough, that I'm, I'm serving in, in enough different ways? What does it look like to make me look like a good Christian? The church ends up building a reputation as a good place full of good people, all of whom have to hide the secret shame that we know we don't live up to that standard. But the real lyric that the gospel speaks is clear throughout the Bible. You can't do enough to fulfill your destiny. But Jesus came to do it for you. This is what Jesus himself says in places like Matthew 5.17. I don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus in his ministry fulfills the law in a way that we fail to do. He lives life in the way that we ought to live. And in doing so, he achieves the end of the law, which is to have a right relationship with the God who made him. Sorry, with the God who made us. But then Jesus goes further as he dies the death that we deserve and rises from the dead three days later and wipes away the price of sin. In Christ's death and resurrection, we have a new life and a new hope and a right relationship with the God that made us and a new opportunity for fulfillment. Listen to the powerful words of Ephesians 2 and see how this promise deals with the wrongs of our past and shapes our perspective also for the future. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens of Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The song that the gospel sings is clear. And Jesus came into this world not just to show us what a good life looks like or to find momentary fulfillment, but to live the full life that we ought to, to die on the cross to take the penalty of our sin, and in rising again to offer us eternity. Just to be clear, the promise of the gospel isn't that if you put your trust in Jesus, that means everything after this is going to be awesome. You know, follow Jesus, you get a better car. If you're friends with God, you get a bigger house and a more enjoyable job. Living in an imperfect world means we're always going to experience frustration in our world. 
But if you're looking for real fulfillment, Ephesians tells us that we can enjoy the immeasurable riches of God's grace to us in the coming ages. We're not people who look back, but we are people who look forward. If we put our trust in Jesus, then we have a sure and certain hope of an eternal future. Jesus earned the deep relationship that we couldn't through his death and resurrection. And in doing so, he he secures the immeasurable riches of God's grace for us. Uh, We're looking forward to a a couple of weeks' time where our family gets to take a a holiday. We're going to go up to uh, uh, the far north coast and then into Queensland. But we realize that when we look forward to the future, uh, sometimes that means we have to tighten our belts now. Uh, You know, I need to make sure I save enough money that I can buy the $28 key ring from Dreamworld or whatever it's going to be. And so also as Christians, we realize that our hope is not that we can get everything, pull every type of fulfillment in our world now, but because we have a future hope, we see the current things we have in a different light. It also means that it shapes our perspective uh, in the present and and what it means to find fulfillment in the world now as well. Uh, Brian Johnson is a tech billionaire who's been gaining notoriety online for his obsession with trying to wind back the clock as he sees if he can actually make his body like that of a 17 or a 20-year-old. A Bloomberg report noted that he's spending over $2 million a year in his efforts, and it's fascinating to read some of the things that he's been doing. The amount of supplements he's on has been growing and growing. Uh, They say he's uh, on almost 100 pills a day to make sure he's got every nutrient that his body needs. He attaches himself to a range of monitors when he sleeps so that he can get a progress report every day about how different organs are functioning. And I think the creepiest of all, you see the guy on the far right? That's his 17-year-old son and he's been taking plasma and in, from his 17-year-old son and injecting it into himself in the hope that it will make his body think it's younger. Every aspect of Brian's life is focused on prolonging his life. But the reality is, at best, he's delaying the inevitable. Whether or not he spends $2 million a year or 20 or 200, time will catch up with Brian and everyone else one way or another. In an ironic twist, one article I read about him said that he now reports that he can't have a meaningful relationship with a woman because when he meets somebody he likes, he feels like he has to give them this document that explains, these are the routines and the behaviours that I have, these are the things that I do, and if you can't fit in between all of those other things, then we're just not going to work out. In a desire to fulfil his dream of immortality, This man is robbing himself of the most basic things that give our lives meaning in the here and now. Uh, By way of comparison, let's cast our eyes on the Apostle Paul as he's writing to the Philippian church. Uh, Paul is under house arrest when he starts this. Uh, He's moving toward that point where eventually he's going to be executed. He can't go anywhere. He's not traveling like he has been for decades. And in uh, any number of ways that you might measure fulfillment, you might say this is a really unfulfilling time. Uh, He's stuck, he's trapped, and he's relying on others for his uh, day-to-day needs. And yet Paul boasts in chapter 1 that God has provided him this great opportunity to witness to the whole Roman imperial guard. He's appreciative of the support that he gets. And at the end of the book, as he's writing to the Philippians who have been doing great things to look after him, this is what he says to them. 
I don't say these things out of need, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with little. I know how to do, uh, make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, in abundance or need, I'm able to, all, to do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul's confidence is in the God who has assured him of his eternal future. And with his eyes fixed on that eternal future, that gives him a new perspective on his present. Whether well-fed or hungry, abundance or need, he continues to honour God because it is God who strengthens him. Of course, if you're a 21st century sports team or athlete, you might hear that last verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, and say, I'm going to stick that on my jersey. That says, I'm always going to win. I can do anything and I'll always be successful. But when we remember Paul's context, we see it in a different way. He may be in jail. He may be awaiting his eventual execution, but everything he does has a new meaning and a new purpose. It is redeemed because it's shaped by his heavenly perspective. Paul has his eyes fixed on the fixed point, which is that his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And that even though his life is one that has been very wavy, his heavenly future is plain sailing. Friends, where do you hope to find your lasting fulfilment? We live in a world that offers it in a thousand different ways. You can get a new phone or bike or car or hair implants. If you can get the right house, you can save up enough super. But as a teacher reminds us in Ecclesiastes, there is nothing new under the sun. But there is one who made the sun. There is one who sent his son. And he is the one who offers us a fulfillment that will last a treasure that will never spoil or perish or fade. It starts by setting our eyes on the fixed point of the God who loves you. But as we do so, our God is the one who redeems the acts in our present as well. As we, serve out, as we fill out our Serving 2024 booklets, it's an opportunity for us to say, How do I reflect God's love for me and how I use my gifts and skills to love the church and to see people grow? It's an opportunity to jump into something exciting, even if it's something mundane. Can it redeem my work as I realize I'm not looking for the acceptance of my peers, but the opportunity to honor God with how I use my hands and my mind? Or is it making kingdom choices about earthly things that might seem so important now, but we know will not last. How about we pray about that now? Let's bow our heads.